I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 15. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, we have the story of Amnon. He was a bad son of David who rapes his half-sister. Verse 1. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin. And it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. Now Jonadab was a very crafty man, and he said to him, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat it from her hand. Then Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. And David sent home to Tamar, saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. Then she took flour and kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom, that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made, and brought them to Amnon her brother in the bedroom. And when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel." Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone. So she said to him, No, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. Then he called his servant who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out, away from me, and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colors, for the king's virgin's daughters wore such apparel. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. Then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. 
So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. Well, this is a story of overindulged, spoiled royalty children. While Amnon and Tamar had different mothers, they had the same father. He was King David. Amnon, with the counsel of his cousin, literally plots the rape of his half-sister. Nathan had prophesied this consequence for David after his sin with Bathsheba and subsequent murder of Uriah back in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 10-12. through 12. And this is just the beginning. To make it worse, Amnon declines to do the honorable thing after the rape, even attempting to implicate Tamar as the one at fault, thus devastating Tamar. She subsequently moves into the home of her brother Absalom. Even though David found out about the transgression in verse 21, it's not recorded that he took any kind of corrective action in the matter toward Amnon. It should be noted that, according to the law of Moses, Amnon's punishment should have been quite severe. I mean, just read Leviticus 18, verses 9 and 29, and Leviticus chapter 20, verse 17. David's failure to punish Amnon in any way may have contributed to Absalom's bitterness. Amnon was the eldest son of David. He was, as such, number one in line to ascend to the Davidic throne. This may have weighed heavily in David's mind, influencing his failure to take decisive action, corrective action against Amnon. Well, Nathan said there would be days like this, but the worst is yet to come. We see in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 23 to 33, that bad boys apparently don't deserve to live. Verse 23, And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shearers in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim, so Absalom invited all the king's sons. Then Absalom came to the king and said, Kindly note your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go now, lest we be a burden to you. Then he urged him, but he would not go, and he blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him, so he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each one got on his mule and fled. And it came to pass, while they were on the way, that news came to David, saying, Absalom has killed all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. So the king arose and tore his garments, and lay on the ground, and all his servants stood by with their clothes torn. Then Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead, for by the command of Absalom this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now therefore let not my lord the king take the thing to his heart to think that all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. Well, here's Absalom. Even after two years, he just won't let the issue go. In his mind, Amnon deserves to die. He invites the men of the royal household to a sheep shearers' festival in another city. 
David himself declines the invitation, but finally allows his sons to attend. After Amnon is drunk, Absalom has him killed. When David gets word of the incident, he thinks all his sons have been killed. But David's nephew, Jonadab, apparently knew about the murder plot and sets the record straight, pointing out that for two years, Amnon should have been looking over his shoulder. Jonadab told David that he felt certain that only Amnon was dead. He was correct. Incidentally, Jonadab was the cunning nephew who had helped Amnon plot the rape of Tamar in the first place. How's that for playing both sides against the middle? In chapter 13, verses 34 through 39, Absalom flees Israel. Verse 34. Then Absalom fled, and the young man who was keeping watch lifted his eyes and looked, and there many people were coming from the road on the hillside behind him. And Jonadab said to the king, Look, the king's sons are coming. As your servant said, so it is. So it was, as soon as he had finished speaking, that the king's son indeed came, and they lifted up their voice and wept. Also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahad, king of Geshur, and David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur, and was there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon, because he was dead. Well, realizing that it's not really a good idea to stick around after you killed your half-brother, Absalom takes off for Geshur, that's way north, where he seeks refuge from David. That was a safe haven for Absalom, because the ruler of the area was his mother's father. His mother's name was Maacah. And her father was Talmai. We see that in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 3. He spends three long years in this exile. Finally, David has stopped mourning for Amnon, and he misses Absalom. So in 2 Samuel chapter 14, we see that David is tricked into receiving Absalom back. Verse 1. So Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom, and Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who's been mourning a long time for the dead. Go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. And when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help, O king. Then the king said to her, What troubles you? And she answered, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field. And there was no one to part them, but the one struck the other and killed him. Now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant, and they said, Deliver him who struck his brother, that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed, and we will destroy the heir also." So they would extinguish my ember that is left, and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the earth. Then the king said to the woman, Go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, My lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. So the king said, Whoever says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall not touch you any more. Then she said, Please let the king remember the Lord your God, and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. Therefore the woman said, Please let your maidservant speak another word to my lord the king. And he said, Say on. 
So the woman said, Why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty, in that the king does not bring his banished one home again. For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. Now, therefore, I have come to speak of this thing to my lord the king, because the people have made me afraid. And your maidservant said, I will now speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his maidservant. For the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God. Your maidservant said, The word of my lord the king will now be comforting. For as the angel of God, so is my lord the king in discerning good and evil. And may the Lord your God be with you. Then the king answered and said to the woman, Please do not hide from me anything that I ask you. And the woman said, Please let my lord the king speak. So the king said, Is the hand of Joab with you in all this? And the woman answered and said, As you live, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord the king has spoken. For your servant Joab commanded me, and he put all these words in the mouth of your maidservant, to bring about this change of affairs your servant Joab has done this thing. But my lord is wise, according to the wisdom of the angel of God, to know everything that is in the earth." And the king said to Joab, All right, I have granted this thing. Go, therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. Then Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, in that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. Now in all Israel there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head, at the end of every year he cut it because it was heavy on him. When he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at two hundred shekels according to the king's standard. To Absalom were born three sons, and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance, and Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. So he said to his servant, See, Joab's field is near mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servant set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, Why have your servant set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Look, I sent to you, saying, Come here, so that I may send you to the king to say, Why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there is iniquity in me, let him execute me. So Joab went to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. Well, Joab intercedes in patching up the relationship between David and Absalom. He sends a woman to spin a tall tale about her sons and ask for a ruling by David. Come to think of it, didn't Nathan ask for a ruling from David on a fictional scenario back in Second Samuel chapter 12? 
You know, maybe David should start getting names and addresses of offended parties before making his hasty decrees. However, his ruling on this presented as true yet fictional scenario hits home for David. He sees through the story after his ruling, though, and realizes that Joab is behind the whole thing. A sucker for a sob story, David allows Absalom back from his exile, where Absalom then lives for two years in his own house. David has nothing to do with him for these two years, not even so much as having him over for family dinners at the palace. Though still not reconciled with his father, King David, Absalom was a popular, good-looking son of the king. Even his annual haircuts were noteworthy events. In the process of time, Absalom grows impatient with David's cold shoulder, and he summons Joab to come intercede for him twice. Joab, though, declines to come. Absalom subsequently burns his field up just to get Joab's attention. Talk about some spoiled boys. Well, David had them. Joab does subsequently speak to David, and David patches things up with Absalom. I got a bad feeling about where this father-son relationship is headed. That brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 15, where Absalom looks to take over the family business. Verse 1. After this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and fifty men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was, whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me. Then I would give him justice. So it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now it came to pass after forty years that Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt at Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went two hundred men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Well, having Absalom back wasn't as good of an idea as David might have thought it would have been. Absalom uses the next few years and starts hanging around the gate to the city looking for people on their way to see David for judgment. He'd give them that warm, gushy kind of greeting and take care of their needs himself. Then Absalom tells David that he made a vow that he must go to Hebron to fulfill. David permits him to go. Hey, that's Absalom's hometown. He was born there. In reality, this is Absalom's big power move to the throne. He takes a small army of unknowing faithfuls with him to Hebron. He even sends back for David's counselor, Ahithophel, to participate in this rebellion with him. 
It appears that Ahithophel was in on the rebellion all along. Funny name, Ahithophel. In Hebrew, it means brother of foolishness. What was his mama thinking? Who wants a counselor whose name means brother of foolishness? Incidentally, there's some confusion on the time frame in verse 7 where the King James Version and the New King James Version read after 40 years, but virtually all other translations read after four years. The change to four from 40 is textually arbitrary. The Hebrew text, everyone agrees, plainly says 40. It was changed to four by these translators of these other versions because 40 just didn't seem correct to them. In reality, Absalom was probably 40 years old in verse 7, thus the after 40 years. That being the case, this event takes place toward the end of David's reign. Beginning in chapter 15, verse 13, David heads for the hills, fleeing his son Absalom. Verse 13, Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. Then the king went out with all his household after him, but the king left ten women concubines to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Then all his servants passed before him, and all the Carathites, all the Pelophites, and all the Gittites, six hundred men who had followed him from Goth, passed before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today? Since I go, I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. But Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. So David said to Ittai, Go and cross over. Then Ittai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. There was Zadok also, and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimeaz your son, and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. 
Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God, there was Hushai the archite coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant, then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar the priest with you there? Therefore it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell Zadok and Abiathar the priest." Indeed, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So, getting word that Absalom was preparing a power play for the throne, which would of necessity result in David's death, David leaves Jerusalem with a bunch of followers before Absalom returns with his illegal army. Zadok and Abiathar, who were priests, even show up with David as he leaves, bearing the Ark of the Covenant with them. David sends them and the Ark back to Jerusalem. Don't want to have to worry about protecting that Ark while out in battle. One more item of interest, the concubines. There were ten of them. David leaves them back at the palace to keep house. Now, that's going to develop into a problem come Second Samuel chapter 16, verses 15 to 23, That's when Absalom takes those concubines for his very own. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 25 and 26, we see a reference to the heart that David has for the Lord. It says this, Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, Here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. Well, after leaving Jerusalem, David is met by another of his counselors, Hushai. David probably assumed that since Ahithophel had turned on him, that maybe all of his counselors had done the same thing. But not Hushai. He's here to help. David sends Hushai back to Jerusalem as a spy and false counselor to Absalom. He'll get on the inside with Absalom's counselors and pass the information on to the boys of the two priests, Zadok and Abiathar, who will bring it back to David. Will Absalom fall for such a ploy? (laughs) Sure he will. So what's wrong with this picture? Absalom is set up as the self-appointed ruler of Israel in Jerusalem while David is in hiding. Now keep in mind, Nathan warned David that there would be days just like this one He said so back in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 10 through 12. Whoa! Forgiveness from sin isn't the same thing as immunity from prosecution. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.